Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Ray Ferraro and Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to the Pulp Hockey Podcast with Ray Ferraro. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Get it on Stitcher app. Get it on iTunes. Get it on PulpHockey.com. We're here once a week talking about the NHL with uh, the great Ray Ferraro, ex-Whaler, ex-Thrasher, ex-King, ex-Ranger, ex-Blue, ex-Islander, and uh, I think I covered it, Ray. That's all six. Yeah. <laughs> Look and listen to you. That's it's a, all six. It's a, big, it's, it's a big league, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, real cool teams, though, to play for. Like L.A. and Rangers, if I'm in the NHL, I want to play for those two teams. Yeah. Um, you know, I was pretty lucky because I, I started in Hartford, and, you know, and Hartford was such a vibrant, cool little place when I was there. I know – Later on, they lost a lot of industry downtown, a lot of the insurance industry. And so that meant a lot of people left. They went to New Jersey where the companies moved to. But when I was there, it was a fun place. The building was full. We had a good team. I went to the Islanders. It was really cool. We had a great run there. And the Rangers, you know, to play in New York City is yeah. so much, so much fun. And then I went to L.A. And despite the fact that the team wasn't great, it's, a, it's, it's just an awesome LA. place to be. Yeah. Yeah, I loved it. And then, I've, you know, Atlanta was Atlanta. And then <laughs> I, uh, you know, I'll just kind of gloss over that. And, and I really enjoyed St. Louis. It's a, it's a good city. They've got good hockey fans. The people were really, really good um, to me when I was there. I, I wish I could have been there longer. Um, you, signed with, you signed with the Rangers as a free agent, right? Yes. I, um, so- I left the Islanders, uh, signed as a free agent, signed a four-year deal, um, in New York, I was talking to Dallas at the same time, and um, uh, decided on the Rangers. Sixty-five games in, though, that's it. They had enough. You had to be a little bitter. I would have been bitter. I was. Oh, I was really bitter. I was really. I was not happy at all. And, um, I had. Uh, I think I had twenty-five goals in sixty-five games, and then um, you know I get traded to L.A. with Matthias Nordstrom and Ian Laperriere and Nathan Lafayette. Um, for Marty McSorley, Yari Curry, and Shane Gerland. I mean, there was no question that, um, you know, that the, the you know, Mark Messier and yeah. Kevin Lowell wanted to get the band back together a bit. And, you know, and Again. So there came Curry and yeah. there came McSorley. Um, you know, I, I was told that, you know, they're worried about my size and, the you know, coming into the playoffs and, <laughs> But hell, they signed me six months before. For four years. For four years. Yeah. You know, I'm the same size then as I was when I got traded. And so I was bitter. And I've, you know, I I don't think they, I don't think it was fair uh, because I had produced. Yeah. But that's the game. Yeah. You don't, you don't have any say in it. So I went to LA and um, really, really loved my time there. But, and the other thing that was satisfying was there's no question LA got the better of the deal. Uh, Matthias Nordstrom became a captain yeah, there. Yep. Uh, you know, Lappy is a he played a long time. A heart yep. and soul, heart and soul player, and I like to think that I was pretty productive in my time there too. Right. Um, absolutely. All right. Let's get. We let's talk about Arthur Staple from Newsday is going to come on later. Uh, of course, the big news: uh, the uh, Jack Capuano of the Islanders was fired, and uh, and so we'll have Arthur on to talk about it. And I, I got to get to the bottom ray of this uh, no alumni game that you spoke of last podcast last week because. Uh, we gotta figure this out. I don't know what it is. I mean, but it, it is unanimous because I haven't been in any. <laughs> right, right. And honestly, I mean, outside of the whale, which is no longer there, and I don't know if the Hurricanes embrace it. They don't really embrace the whale, do they? The Canes. No, I should say they did have an outdoor game. Uh, the American League team put on a, who are now called the Whalers, but they put yeah. on an outdoor game and. Uh, I was asked to go. I couldn't get there because of my schedule. So it's not entirely true, but of existing franchises, right. I have no outstanding invitations. Um, 
Yeah, we got to figure that out. Because, I mean, to me, your glory years, to me, when I think Ferraro, I think Game 7, 93. I think the Whale, you know, uh, Thrasher, the, yeah. only guy to, the only guy that really was doing anything on the Thrashers for a number of years. Although Brunette was, was pretty good, too. But Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what's happened with it. Or I don't, you know, it is just odd. You, you are. I'm, I'm now at the point where, I'm at the point now where, I don't even really want to play, so it's okay. <laughs> I want to see Ferraro suit up as a Winnipeg Jet. There you you are, alumni of the Winnipeg Jets. No, they already got through theirs, and I was not invited, so I know that's, I, that's not happening. Either. I, don't, I don't like that. I don't like the fact that that uh, Arizona has the the Jets records. I don't know how you fix that, but put them all back with the Thrashers. You can't put them all back. I, I don't know. I don't know. Anyways. Um, all right. Hey, so, so before we get Arthur on, um, uh, I guess Capuano has been there for a while. It was a bit of a shock, but not really. The only shock it was was because um, the Islanders were struggling. But he, it seemed like Capuano has weathered a few storms over his time there. So that kind of made it a little surprising. Uh, a little bit. I mean, they, were, they certainly were a disappointing team in the first half of the season. And, you know, so the coach is is going to bear a lot of the the brunt of that. Um, you know, I I look at the team that won their first playoff series in 23 years last last April. Um, there was a lot positive about it, and then the summer comes, and they lose Franz Nielsen, they lose Kyle Oposo, they lose Matt Martin, um, who had you know was a very popular player there. Mm-hmm. They replace him with Andrew Ladd and uh, Jason Chimera. And that has not been that they have not filled what the production was that the guys departed. You know, Tavares and uh, Oposo really played well together. Um, they brought in P.A. Parento as a free agent. Then they put him on waivers at the end of camp. It was a really curious decision. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I'm not really sure where it's all gone off the rails. But the hope that seemed to be that you could touch last April and May that seems to have dissipated again. And so they said that they weren't going to bring Jack Capuano back next year. So I guess they felt that <laughs> that was odd. Look, right? We're struggling. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're struggling. We're not going to bring him back next year. Let's make a move now. Um, Doug Waits in interim coach. And that was a bit surprising to me, an outsider, you, I mean, I know he's behind the bench, but is that, is it, he's been there longer than you think though. Yeah. You know, he's, Okay. He's been an associate coach there longer than you think. He's been in management as well. He, it's pretty clear he likes being behind the bench. and uh, So now he'll get his first crack at being a head coach, and it's in the NHL. And there's there's a lot to that. Um, mm-hmm. It will be an adjustment um, for the players. Many of them I don't think have played for anybody else uh, but Capuano, because if you've been in New York less than seven years, he's been it. Yeah. Um, so that'll be different, and – um, we'll see how how it works. It'll this will be a big step for for Doug. He's a real confident guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a good communicator. Uh, can he communicate what he wants to the players? Because they've they've probably you know heard most of his ideas over the time he's been an assistant coach. Anyway, um, if he has success, does he have a chance to hold on to it, or are they just wiping? I got a feeling. My own my own feeling is they're wiping it all out at the end of the year. That's my feeling. Well, the, the only chance he would have, I would say, is if Gar Snow remains a general manager. Mm-hmm. If a new GM comes in, it seems like if they get to the end of the year and the new owners uh, decide that, um, you know, they're, they're going to wipe it clean and they're going to start anew, you would think the new general manager, in most cases, would hire his own coach. Yes. And so, you know, if Garth Snow stays as a general manager – and the Islanders have a good second half, maybe he'd be inclined to keep Doug Wade as his coach and take the interim tag off. This is, um, to me, this franchise has been stuck for so long. Like you said, some highlights here and there. but And this could be, this may or may not be influenced by my decision to have uh, Johnny T in a Maple Leaf uniform ASAP. But just tear it down. Let him walk. Trade him. Uh, let, you know, trade him before his contract's up, Tavares. Bring up Hosang. Bring up Dekol, Delco. Uh, Dell Cole and uh, and get this thing going the way the Leafs have the way the Penguins did the way the Blackhawks did right but but no because oh, okay <laughs> the way the the way the Penguins did the way the Blackhawks did well they got Kane and Taves in Chicago they got Malkin and Crosby and Flurry in Pittsburgh if you're if you're trading Tavares what do you have 
Well, that's the point. I mean, you're, Josh you're, Hosang, you're... last time I checked, he had three goals in the American League. Like, these guys are kids. They're just getting going. They're, you can't turn the franchise over to to players that have no professional experience. And Hosang is, man, he's got a he's got a lot of character questions that he has to answer. Yeah. And the only way he can answer them is by doing the right thing repeatedly for a little bit of time because he's done the wrong thing for a longer period of time for a while. Right, right. I just, so, yeah. right. I, I mean, you're right. They are stuck. They are, um, you know, they, they're they crying for a winger to play with Tavares. They just need, they need one. I don't know if they thought it was going to be Andrew Ladd, but that's not really the game that Andrew plays. Yeah. Um, you know, so... If you if you get into July of next year and he's not signed, Tavares isn't signing an extension, mm-hmm. then I think you have to look at everything. You have to. You're not going to let him go for nothing, though. That is, yeah, that would be remarkably stupid. Like remarkably stupid. But that happened, and he, I don't think it would. He probably has a no trade. Tavares, I haven't looked actually. I probably should have done some research because he could pull a Mats. Matt said no, staying. Then he screwed us. Uh, us being Maple Leaf fans. Yeah, but see, I, I you know I don't know if he's got a no trade. I think he's got a limited no trade, to be honest. But there is um, there is nothing, given the many statements of loyalty that Tavares has made, that he would all of a sudden stick it to the franchise. Why would yeah. he do that? Like, that's, that's not going to happen, I don't think. Matt's did it, and I don't know why Matt's would do that. I was mad at Matt's. I felt – I was very angry with him. So, oh. I was surprised. Yeah, I mean, that's that's your Leaf revisionist history and all that stuff. And <laughs> he didn't want to go anywhere. It was his right. He didn't have to go. Right. Um, hey, um, exciting week for us, the goal guys, the guys that want more offense in the game. 8-7, Penguins over Capitals. Penguins score six in the uh, in the second period. And uh, um, and 7-6, Dallas beat the Rangers. Um, now, look, maybe we don't want that many goals. But, sure, I'll take it. I loved it. I watched the highlights. I was, I was at dinner and following the Twitter of the Pens Caps, and I started putting it on the table. Did not go over with the wife very well. I'm like, I have no, to see this game. Move. I have to see this game. But uh, entertainment galore. Well, I, you know, starting with the first one, the the best part for me was about midway through the second period, realizing and enjoying that the coaches weren't going to be able to strangle the life out of the game. <laughs> right. It was like you know, a car going downhill that had lost the brakes. Yeah, you're just hanging onto the wheel as tight as you can and steering it the best you can. Like that. So once in a while, those things are phenomenal. They're just so much fun to watch. And I don't think anybody said, oh, I wish this was 2-1 with a lot of chances. Right. No, the goals were fun. And they were. it's not going to happen all the time, of course. And then the next night, there's a 7-6 game because Lundqvist and Niemi are playing dodgeball in net. I mean, as loose as the game was, the goaltending was terrible. In even worse than the eight seven game, if that's somehow lost. yeah, if if you can even make that work, right? But it was um, it's interesting when they do get out of hand, um, but it happens so rarely, so infrequently um, that you know I don't I don't think we can pin our hopes that all of a sudden this is going to turn into a four three lead. Um, Matt Murray was in for all seven. Good job. <laughs> and got the win. Yeah, I, I don't know if I've ever. You know, yeah, I don't know if I've seen that too often. Well, you, certainly not since <laughs> you know the days of yeah you know, your your early eighties, right? Yeah, like I know we beat Edmonton one night eight seven, mm-hmm. and so whoever was in goal for us, I forget they got the win. Yeah, they gave up seven goals. <laughs> so, you must have made a couple good saves in there somewhere, I guess. Um, yeah, the Leafs beat Oilers in the height of the Oilers being the Oilers, 11-9. Freacher had four goals. Here's love, Freacher. Four goals. They beat him 11-9. Pat, Pat Foley, the, the broadcaster in Chicago, yeah. who does such a great job for so long, there was a game, he tells a story about the Blackhawks lost 11-8 to the Oilers. And he said, even though the game was 11-8, the Hawks were never in it. <laughs> um, hey, lost in the uh, in the Ranger loss to Stars. 
Uh, Henrik Lundqvist, uh, 902 save percentage down to 289 goals against average. And you, you track these guys way more than I do, Ray, but I've seen more sort of Lundqvist pulled and Lundqvist letting in a softy um, than maybe I've seen in a few years. And, hey, everybody hits that wall. What is he, uh, 31, 30? He's 31, yeah. Yep, 31. So w- what's your take? What, do you, what, do you, what have you seen? Well, I, I see a goalie that looks like he's guessing a lot. Um, you know, like, uh, you know, obviously I'm not, I'm not a goalie, but I can see when teams um, or when players don't look very confident. And mm-hmm. I would say that's what I would say about Lundqvist. Um, he's given up 16 goals on his last 76 shots. And it's the first time in his career he's given up four goals against in four straight games. And, you know, it's, it's almost like when things go badly, you um, you start after a while to expect them to go badly, and I would say that's where Lundqvist is. When I was watching him last night, the goals that were going in, um, it seemed like there was almost a resignation that, yeah, that's going to go in the net. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep, like yep. You, you see it in other sports too. You can you can see it in the body language of a pitcher that's fidgety on the mound. You're like he's almost scared to throw a strike because he thinks if he throws it over the plate, someone's going to smash it over the fence. And for Lundqvist, it's like if he gets a chance against, it's like right now for some reason he's just ill-equipped to stop it. And that's that's really, really very unlike him. Yep, it is. And it is unlike him, and he'll probably right the ship. He, you know, he's a great but, goaltender. But, 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 but wouldn't, you be, wouldn't you be real nervous that he yes. can't right the ship? Well, that's it, right? Like the, his age, his production, the number of minutes he has uh, for a number of years, they just, it just goes, right? At some point, it goes, and it goes fast. Well, and, and you can't, and, you know, like the, we often talk about the speed of the game and the, um, you know, and how it's a young man's league. I, I think it probably, it probably applies to goalies too, in that, you know, guys shoot the puck better than they have, mm-hmm. than they ever have. They're quicker, so the plays develop quicker. And, you know, goalies get into that age time, time frame of, or you know, I'm I'm pretty sure they, you know, their hips get sore, their knees get sore. they mm-hmm. you know, from all the butterfly work that they do. You know, Lundqvist has played a boatload of hockey, as you mentioned, in his career, and he's always involved in international play as well. And maybe he's, you know, the Rangers hope he's just in a really bad month or two, but maybe he's starting to slow a bit, and that that would be a major major concern for the Rangers because they haven't worried about that position for ten years. Absolutely. Uh, you talked a little bit about uh, the baseball pitcher on the mound. Uh, you, your Red Sox, you got to be stoked on Jose oh, yeah. Bats, Joey Bats coming back home. He's coming back. It's gonna be great to Toronto. Perfect. Yes. Go ahead. Yeah. You got to be worried though. Could now, could could that of negotiation from both sides have been handled worse? <laughs> I don't think so. How are they going to stand up on the podium and be like, "We welcome them back." <laughs> We welcome. We, this is what we hoped was going to happen. Right, right. But like it just—it was botched from the second it all started. But he crushes at Fenway, so love that. Um, oh, that's sure good. It's, you know, I'm 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 rather pleased with with where the Red Sox sit, yeah, and if no. the new skinny Pablo Sandoval yes, yes. can replace. Anything that they're going to lose with David Ortiz, which is going to be a huge loss. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think Boston's as good as anybody in that division. I'm hoping the Jays can flip Bautista for Edwin to Cleveland, and maybe no one notices. Yeah, good luck with that. Talk about another negotiation that went south, by the way. I know we're di- diverting here, but the Edwin thing. Talk about another one that went south for for the Blue Jays. Yeah, I, I would say Blue Jays management has not coated themselves in glory this no. past off season. Um, hey, so I've got a friend that does some outside uh, work with the Jets uh, in Winnipeg, where I'm from, and uh, a childhood buddy of mine. And about a month ago, we were ta- texting back and forth about this podcast, by the way. He listens. And um, I said, dude, they got it. What's wrong with Pavlik? Like, if nothing else, Andre Pavlik, we've seen him. He, he can go on a run two, three weeks where he's on fire. And my buddy, who has talks to the guys of the Jets, uh, you know, maybe not the upper management, obviously, but some people, just said, nope, 
They're, they said they're running with the kids, and that's it. Um, Pavlik, you know, his contract's up at the end of the year. He'll be gone. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I, at this point, I'd throw Pavlik in there and just see if he can recapture the magic. And, and my, my, my buddy was pretty insistent that not going to happen. Well, they did. They called him up. The Jets are uh, slowly bleeding losses here, bleeding goalies, uh, uh, um, goals, goals against. Uh, take on that. What do you think? Well, I, I think they probably tried to stay as true to their plan for as long as they can mm-hmm. or as long as they could. And then eventually your plan's only as good as its execution. And then if the execution isn't there, you've got to, you know, you've got to make an adjustment. And I mean, they were, I think they would probably be concerned that, you know, Hellebuck is, Connor Hellebuck is just going to get snowed under yep. and you end up losing all kinds of, confidence and you go backwards and so you know he's they asked him to be the number one goalie i think he's got under 60 nhl starts um that's a lot to ask of of a young guy and you know his rise has been pretty rapid he's a he's a fourth or fifth round draft choice he you know he so he he slipped through some rounds Mm -hmm. of the draft it's not like he had a high pedigree and everybody knew he was going to be the guy but his last two years of college were really good he went to the World Championships. He was really good for the United States. They got a bronze medal, which is a really an achievement for the U.S. Because for whatever reason, a lot of their players don't go. Yep. And they have generally a lot uh, a lot of younger players, a lot of college players that represent the U.S. at the World Championships. And Hellebuck a couple of years ago was was fantastic. So, you know, they they felt he could handle the job. As it turns out. It's just too much for him, and Michael Hutchison hasn't been great behind him. So they've got Pavlik. Um, they get a motivated guy. Can he be really good for a half a season, or can he be really good for two weeks? Yeah. I mean, I, they they got to stop. They got to stop the bleeding before the season just runs away from them, and any and all hope is gone. I mean, they. Their best hope right now is that Andre Pavlik can come in and give them quality NHL goaltending. Um, I don't know if you do you agree with me though. He's 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 at times carried them for like a few weeks here and there. Like I remember some runs he's been on over the course of since they moved to, to Winnipeg, and he's hot. But then other times, then he falls off the off, falls off the wagon, and, and that's it. But, right. I mean, who knows what you're going to get? Yeah. You know, his last American League start, he he stopped 43 of 44. Um, you know, it's not like he doesn't know the league. He's been in it. Yeah, yeah. He's been in it a lot. He's played a lot of hockey. And so, you know, I would say there's a familiarity there. There's a expectation that he can do the job, not a hope. You know, they can expect him to do the job. And this is an opportunity he probably didn't think was going to come. So I would assume he's more than eager to get going. Do you see a coaching change coming if this doesn't work? No, I don't. No. Um, I, I don't, and and for a couple of reasons. One is that, um, that you know the goaltending that we've just talked about. Right. You know they haven't had Tyler Myers for close to thirty games. Um, you know, three minutes into the season, they lost Brian Little to injury, and then they went through just a. They look like a mash unit with the number of injuries they had. I thought they did pretty well in the first quarter of the season, given the way that their lineup constantly looked because it was so young and so you have to you can applaud their depth but you have to say that Maurice did a pretty good job of of getting as much as he could out of some really inexperienced players so I I don't know that I would agree right now that a coaching change could solve anything Mm -hmm. Uh, well hey let's bring uh, Arthur Staple in from Newsday and talk about Capriano and the Islanders and, and Tavares and Tomorrow's coming to Maple Leafs and, and all that stuff, which uh, I'm sure. Be... Oh, you're hoping. <laughs> well, I went through with Stamkos. He broke my heart, so I'm going to go for Tavares. And then after that, I don't know. After that, I don't know who to be the next guy. McDavid, right? He's from yeah, Toronto. Good luck on yeah, that too. Right, exactly. Yeah. Good luck on that. Yeah. Uh, right, let's let's bring uh, let's bring in Arthur uh, Staple right now. All right, now as promised on uh, Paul Pocky podcast with Ray Ferraro from Newsday, covering the Islanders uh, in depth and talking more about Jack Capuano getting dismissed, Doug Waite coming in, Arthur Staple from Newsday. Like I said, thanks, Arthur, for coming on. Glad to be here, guys. Uh, number one, Arthur. Uh, before we get started with, with anything about the current Islanders, uh, last podcast, 
Ray said he's never been asked to play an alumni game. Now, some of his teams don't exist anymore. But how does the hero of 93, the hero, never mind Volek, that goal hasn't happened without Ray passing it. Can we, Arthur, can you get the new owner, Jonathan Ledecky or, or Garth or somebody, Ray, can we get Ray invited? I don't know if Ray got kicked off some sort of alumni email list. John Ledecky <laughs> really has quite literally reached out to almost anyone who's ever played a game for the Islanders. Uh, you know, I think it's a twofold thing that he's looking to bring people back into the fold and also kind of shopping around maybe for someone to, to join the organization in a, in a managerial capacity. So I don't know if that says anything about Ray's <laughs> reputation around the league or just his reputation from his time at the Islanders, but it is amazing that he hasn't been contacted by anybody yet. And he actually comes back to the building to do work sometimes. Right, right. I'm really starting to get concerned now, Arthur. <laughs> starting to wonder. I mean, I mean, you're falling behind. You're falling behind LaFontaine. You're falling behind people who have had big fallings out with the organization too. So uh, it, I don't know. Oh, well, maybe one day. Maybe maybe one day. Is it true, Arthur, that yeah, exactly. Rich Pilon has been contacted ahead of Ray? <laughs> is, is is this true? Uh, you know that. I bet Rich is on those uh, those email lists. I have no doubt about that. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, so Arthur, for for years you've covered the Islanders, and there's been no shortage of topics um, around the organization. You know, for a long time back to Charles Wong and his ownership. Um, they make the decision yesterday to fire uh, Jack Capuano after seven seasons. I think what I took out of that uh, the most was. Gar Snow saying he wasn't going to be back next year. When do you think that decision is made? Because six months ago, they had won their first playoff series in 23 years. Yeah, you know, I feel like it's, it was something that was bottling below the surface. You know, uh, Garth gave Jack a vote of confidence, which is always kind of a hollow thing when your team's not doing well. That was probably about uh, 20 games ago when they were really – kind of at a low point. I think there were four or five games under 500 uh, through the first 20 games, and they'd lost a lot of close games, blown points in games that they were tied inside of three minutes to go in the third. A lot of things that get coaches fired, and, and Garth stood behind his guy as he has through a few <clears throat> low moments over, over the course of Capuano's seven years. But I think somewhere between there and uh, and probably Saturday night in Raleigh where uh, they you know they scored four goals and they couldn't stop a beach ball. Nobody was doing anything defensively. Uh, it didn't look anything like the team that had played 24 hours before in a pretty decent win in Florida. Uh, and John Ledecky was sitting with Garth Snow in the in the booth above my head in the in the Raleigh press box, and you could see some some angry faces. And I think maybe that was the time uh, that really cinched it for Garth. That you know, I, I, you know, mathematically, there's still time to save this season and possibly, you know, save some other jobs, including his own, um, if they can turn it around. And, and like you said, Jack's not going to be coming back, and they can perhaps get a jump uh, on the coaching search if there are people that become available. You know, you look in Boston at Claude Julian or to get fired uh, in the middle of the season by the Bruins. The Islanders are in a situation where they can jump on that, and uh, I'm sure that they would. So, uh, you know, they've already gotten permission uh, a couple of weeks ago to speak to Gerard Gallon. I'm not sure if that conversation has taken place, but that's another area where you've got established coaches that are getting paid by their old teams uh, and could be available before we reach a point where other teams are going to be looking for coaches. So I think those were kind of the motivations for Garth to do it now. What, what can be expected to change or to improve with Doug Waite as coach? Uh, as opposed to the way that Capuano ran ran his team, you know, Jack Jack is a very meticulous guy. He's a he's a really hardworking guy. You know, it was funny to hear John Tortorella, who had him as an assistant at the World Cup, which obviously was not a successful venture, but but I think that was the first time they worked together. And John said to me quite candidly, like Jack is so prepared, he might be over prepared. He might give too much information to his players. And maybe paralyze them a little bit with uh, with a little too much info. I don't think Doug is that way. Doug, you know, Doug had a successful career. Obviously, he's a you know, everyone knows him. I think around the league is a guy who's a very articulate guy. He, he thinks the game well. He he expresses his ideas well. And I think he's going to learn to maybe back off a little bit where Jack was a little too invasive with his uh, with his room and his players. So, I think that'll be one subtle change. 
I don't know how much they can tweak in terms of systems or on ice stuff. Their their you know shots for and against have really cratered this year. They were headed downhill last year after a great season in fourteen fifteen where they generated tons of offense and tons of shots, and it's just been a steady decline since then. And I'm sure that. Uh, you know, a little jolting awake, uh, maybe a little bit different uh, viewpoint from behind the bench of, of how to keep possession of the puck, how to play in the offensive zone, how to maintain my forecheck. Maybe it'll just snap into place a little bit more with a different voice. It's really unknown territory for a lot of the guys on this team who have only had one coach. Um, you know, I think pretty much everyone except right. Ryan Tavares, who's been an Islander for a while, has only had Jack Capuano. So you don't really know how they're going to react, and it could certainly go deeper south, but, uh, <laughs> but you would think uh, that there's nowhere to go but up, at least in the short term for this team. When you said about the over-preparation, the first two guys I thought of were Ryan Strom and Brock Nelson, um, two guys that I thought were headed in the other direction, but to me, if, I, I wouldn't say regress, in Strom's case, maybe so, but there seems to be more there. Would, that, would they be a couple of guys maybe you could look at and say, hey, th- there is a possibility of a bounce from a, a different approach. Absolutely. You know, I think Strom in particular was always in and out of Jack's doghouse, and, and I think that was more organizational. Jack was not a guy to kind of strike off on his own and, and criticize a player publicly, and I think that was an organizational feeling that, that Ryan Strom maybe flew by the seat of his pants a little too much. Maybe his his uh, his feelings, you know, feeling a little too secure in spots when maybe he shouldn't have been as a young player. But uh, but for him, I think, you know, yeah, it's, it's ever since, you know, a great 2014-15, it's really just been, he's been lost in this in this organization since then. Uh, you know, he's been playing with, with Brock Nelson quite a bit. They've had Andrew Ladd on their wing. Uh, they had Steven Jonta there in Boston in the shutout when exactly that line was fine, but wasn't really there to do what you would think Brock Nelson and Ryan Strom would be doing. So maybe there's going to be some creativity that gets back into their games with uh, not feeling quite as stifled, not feeling quite as criticized. I think Calvin DeHaan on defense is a guy who falls in that same category who you know, took a lot of uh, heat from, from Jack Capuano uh, for being a different sort of guy, but, but is you know, a steady contributor. And I think uh, you know, it, that may be the, those guys may be the area where uh, they've been a little bit deficient consistently throughout the year. They've obviously had some bad spots in other ways. But, uh, but yeah, I think uh, if Ryan Strom and Brock Nelson can, can develop a little bit more consistency, whoever they're playing with, that those two middle lines have really been a hole for the Islanders for a lot of years. And if they can produce some offense and, and more importantly, be a little bit more responsible at both ends of the ice, I think that would go a long way to exchanging the fortunes of this team in the next few games. Now, it won't be very long before... You know, last year we were, you know, everybody in Canada was thinking and talking about, hey, Stamkos is coming up for free agency and would he leave Tampa? As it turns out, of course, he signed a long deal. Now, John Tavares' deal comes up in July of 18. Um, Why would he stay (laughs) if the path is the same? And what or do they need to do something to make them more enticing for him? I mean, he's been really steadfast in his devotion to the Islanders, but don't they have to give him a little, a little bit to work with? You know, it's obviously the the hottest topic of debate. And and six months ago when he scored that goal to beat Florida, who would have thought that anyone would would be questioning his dedication to this franchise, but obviously he can't commit, uh, you know, until he sees what direction the team is going in. And that's the, the power of the superstar player like him. And, that's really the, the thing that he can have over the organization. But I think just from talking to people in his camp, talking to people with the Islanders, you know, I think he's looking for reasons to stay. And, uh, you know, he had a great relationship with Jack Capuano. I would argue that if Tavares didn't love Jack the way that he did, Jack wouldn't have lasted this long because, you know, mm. Tavares was quick to say today, I have no input on hiring or firing of coaches, which is the way it should be. But I mm-hmm. think you can certainly take the temperature of the room and, and he's uh, a very open and honest guy in communication with Garth Snow and with the coaching staff. So I think that relationship was a pretty strong one. So I don't know if firing Jack is the, is the move that's going to suddenly make John Tavares think things are turning around. I think he has to see where John Medecki and where Scott Malkin, the new owners, are going, 
with their listening tour, with whatever you want to call it, the uh, the uh, off-the-record uh, informational sessions that Ledecky's been holding with an awful lot of people in the game. Except uh, for Ray. With an eye to- except for Ray. Except for Ray. <laughs> yeah. let's, let's make sure yeah. I point out except for Ray. <laughs> um, uh, with an eye towards possibly hiring a president of hockey operations who may decide the fate of Garth Snow, who may decide the fate of the coaching staff. Uh, and if that stuff all falls into place a week or two or three, beyond the end of the regular season and the Islanders don't make the playoffs, then I think you've got a couple months to show John Tavares that they mean business, that this this year is the aberration, not the last two. Uh, and that may be enough to get him to, to sign on the dotted line. I think there's some other factors to me that, that play into it. You know, everyone wants to talk about Toronto, obviously, but, but yeah. $10 million a year, $10.5 million for seven years, that means that one or two of those good young guys in Toronto won't be around long term. It's just salary cap yeah, is not going right. to go up enough. For a team but don't you think Tavares outside? I'm sorry, Arthur. Don't you think it's you know with Stamkos it was about it seemed to be all about Toronto. When I look at at John, um, man, I can't even imagine what team wouldn't be interested. I mean, yeah. you know, of course, well, finances think, and their roster think, and all that. I think, but make, John would have yeah, you make, options. Yeah, you make room. I think to me, something I mentioned the other day in a, in a little Q and A I did on our website. You know, John is a big union guy. Uh, he's he's a team rep. He's very heavily involved with Don Fear as a star player. I think he feels it's his responsibility to be involved with the union. We've got a, the potential for another lockout coming in a few years. I don't think John Tavares, the way that he thinks about his role in the sport with the Islanders, whatever, is going to be a guy who can afford to leave money on the table for this contract. And uh, like you said, there'll be lots mm-hmm. of teams that would create space for him. But if he can get eight years and ten and a half, maybe even eleven million from the Islanders, and that's the best deal he's going to get. I think he'd be inclined to take it rather than risk, right. you know, deferring money, moving things around, having to go to a team that's got to shed guys and make room for him and change things up. I think that's not even not a huge factor, but it's a factor. And I think the the lure of Toronto, you know, I think with Stamkos, uh, he and Tavares are pretty tight, and Stamkos has been pretty open, saying he thought, you know, at the end of it. He felt he made a mistake waiting as long as he did. It just mm-hmm. undue attention while he was trying to get the Lightning to back to the finals. And uh, and I think John Tavares even loves the likes the spotlight for that kind of off ice stuff even less. He's a guy who whose team plays in New York City and he spends as little time as possible in New York City. He likes the the quiet life out on Long Island. I think he he likes being kind of the unassuming superstar who can ride the train into Brooklyn and not be noticed by too many people. So. You know, obviously these things can change, and if the Islanders, you know, if John Ledecky and Scott Malkin make a hash of this decision coming in the offseason, if they do nothing, then yeah, things could change. And I think, to me, if nothing, if you get to July 1, the day that he can sign that extension, uh, and he doesn't want to do it, July 2 and 3 are going to be pretty interesting for the Islanders, whoever's in charge of making the decision, because you got a year of him at 5.5 to offer around to 29 other teams, who could give you back a pretty big haul to get you restarted mm-hmm. without John Tavares if you know he's not going to sign. That would be an unbelievable scenario. I think my Twitter feed would explode because the fans would just lose their minds at the prospect of not only John Tavares is not going to stay when he gets to free agency, but to my mind, if you're the GM, you got to trade him because that's the only time you're going to get any real value from him is right in that time before next season begins. So there's a lot of variables in play. Uh, if you ask me right is now, the arena, thing, is the arena part of it? <laughs> I think it's a small part of it. I think mm-hmm. winning cures a lot of ills. I know that place. No, no, I mean the that. the talk of hey, is there going to be a new one? Are they going to redo the lease? Or uh, they, yeah, you know, where are the guys going? settling no. in and their reality of living on the island and getting in there? Is that all more comfortable for them? <clears throat> you know, I think the, uh, even if they signed a deal for a new building, whether it's at Belmont Park or at City Field, if they signed it today. You still got to play in Brooklyn for three or four, maybe five years, depending on the red tape that you face. And we know there's tons of red tape because the Coliseum thing never got off the ground. So, um, you know, I think that's probably factors into it, but I don't know if it's front and center. I think I think the idea of playing for a winning team, you know, if John Tavares were to go to L.A., he's in the same situation where they practice and you got to fight the traffic to get downtown to the arena. I know that's the buildings are a lot yep. different. But, uh, but I think just from the standpoint of, Am I thinking about things that are at ownership level and that kind of stuff? I don't know if that I don't know if that plays into it. Very much. Well, I'll tell you when when I was there last. I guess it was April when 
when John scored in double overtime, that felt like the Coliseum for maybe for just one night. <laughs> right, right. But that that felt like the Islanders were back. And so as an alum, I, I find this all really disappointing. I, I've wanted to see some momentum out of that. Now they're, you know, they lose the three guys in free agency in the summer, Martin Oposo and Franz Nielsen, and they kind of swing and miss at least for the first half of the year with Ladd and Chimera. And now it seems like the scramble's on again. And it's, it's disappointing. I'm sure the fans must feel that way as well. For sure. I think, you know, it's, it's uh, just ever since you were there, I think that was the last year of the fans feeling good about their franchise until the last few years. And, and just with, you know, con men trying to buy the team, the, the endless search for a new Coliseum, um, you know, owners bottoming out, ordering Mike Milbury to trade Ziggy Palfy for peanuts. You know, it's just, it's one indignity after another for the fans. <laughs> of it is. And they've really been, re- yeah. for a lot of years, they were reduced to the, the hardest of the hardcore. And I think the last year at the Coliseum, that being such a good year, uh, the first year in Brooklyn also being a good year. I think I think those long-suffering fans really felt like, finally, we're not going to be a joke anymore. But, but you realize that if you start to lose a few games, all of the issues pop back up. All of the ha-ha Islanders stuff pops back up. And I think... I think it makes them doubly frustrated when they hear from fans who say, this is, I've been a fan for 30 years and this is the worst it's ever been. I'm like, are you kidding me? This isn't even in the top 10. They've been so much worse. But this is great. There's always worse. Because the expectations were so much higher right. and, and the feeling that, that the bad stuff was finally behind them. You're like, there's a 30 for 30 with John Spano that you should watch if you think this is... Right, exactly. <laughs> you do realize there's a guy in jail because he's fake trying to buy the team. I don't know if it can get much worse than that. Right. Well, Arthur, uh, thank you for the time from Newsday, Arthur Staple on the Islanders and everything that's going on there. And we gotta, we got to get a hashtag going of get Ray back to the aisle <laughs> and uh, at least get him in a game. I mean, come on, everybody gets in a game, so... You know, hell, I'd be so bad that might be a good thing I'm not in one. (laughs) If he comes down to do a game uh, for TSN, I think he should just run across the ice and drop the opening face-off puck, just grab it from whoever's out there. I think the fans will – just a little gorilla action. I think people would like it. There we go. Show some initiative. Fantastic. Well, thanks for your time today. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. All right. See you. Thanks, Arthur. All right, thanks. Uh, thanks for uh, getting him, Ray. A uh, longtime Islander uh, beat guy and uh, interesting stuff for sure. I, we, he'll work on that alumni thing, so that's that's awesome. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny those, those guys that have been around the Islanders for a long time, you know, through the geez. the Charles Wong era and the the new arena, and it's they're going to move. They're not going to move. The deals done. The, the trades that have been made. Man, they could they could write a pretty good book there around around Long Island. When you got there in, uh, when did you get there? 89? Right? No, November of 90. November of 90. Um, you know, it, okay, the glory years weren't there, but they weren't far off, right? I mean, people were still 90, 91, 92. Like- uh, you know what? The, when I got there, you know, it, um, the uh, Mr. Torrey had left, Bill Torrey had, mm-hmm. um, was in his last year before going to Florida to, run the expansion Panthers. Um, there was a sense that some players were pretty unhappy. Um, so in the as soon as I got there, rather shortly after, I think Pat LaFontaine got traded, then Brent Sutter got traded. Um, you know, it was yeah. it was there was a lot of turmoil uh, around the Islanders then and it was really a couple of years before we, we had that pretty terrific run. I think the lesson here, too, for, for other coaches in the game is, uh, whether it's Gerard Gallant or Jap Capiano, is don't let the Hurricanes beat you. Don't, don't do yeah, that. I guess that's it, isn't it, for both of them? <laughs> Just, you know, beat the Hurricanes and move on. Hurricanes are good, though. They're solid, but somehow uh, that's, 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 that's the bar, right? Yeah, it's funny. I guess, you know, they were, they were the team sitting at the, at the end of the sentence, I guess. You know, they were the yep. period. And, um, uh, it's pretty coincidental that they were, you know, the the two games that really seemed to be the tipping point for both coaches. Right. Um, Ray, I was watching um, the Taylor Hall's homecoming back to Edmonton, uh, the Devils versus Edmonton uh, a week ago or so, and I just made a note in my phone, something I want to talk to you about, because this, to me, would be the hardest part of being an NHL player. Like, 
everyone preaches discipline and everybody says play smart, play hard, everything else. And to me, I mean, if you just think of the, think about this situation in real life, it, it's 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 hilarious. So Zach Cassian gets an elbow from said Taylor Hall uh, off a of faceoff, and and I think it was on purpose. It looked pretty gnarly, right? I mean, yep, yeah, and, and so okay. that, yeah, puck drops, elbow to the face. Uh, Cassian then proceeds to chase Taylor Hall down and absolutely start pummeling him for no reason unless you saw the elbow. You were wondering what is going on. And in this situation, Ray, the penalty minutes evened up. Uh, uh, but just think about this in real life. <laughs> just a guy elbows you in the face for no reason. Well, he'd, he'd, go to, he'd get an assault charge. Right. And then you go, chase him down, and continue to pummel him. Um, but you, you played the game for so long. This has to be... Like, again, the penalties evened up, so it's it's maybe not, but sometimes they don't, most times they don't. It would be so hard for Cassie to not do anything, right? This has got to be the, the constant battle in an NHL player's mind. Well, um, there are times when something happens. The most dangerous time for the player is the one or two seconds right after somebody's punched you in the face or somebody's tripped you or kicked your feet out the the one or two seconds right after it when you you can't even think because you're so mad mm-hmm. um that's the time when the retaliation occurs um a lot of guys you know as they're chasing them down they would realize okay this is gonna end badly you know i'm gonna end up with a penalty for sure here yep but cassian was probably so hot you, you know you can't even like all yeah. rationale kind of leaves you, and you just got elbowed in the face. <laughs> yeah, so <clears throat> I, I'm sure everybody tells you, you know, you got to keep your head. But mm-hmm. when you're bleeding out of your nose and your mouth is cut, you know, it's pretty tough to, <laughs> pretty <laughs> tough to rally up your defense mechanisms to <laughs> say, oh, I'll wait for another time. Right. And a lot of times, you know, like for me, I wasn't going to fight anybody because uh, I would have got beat up. Uh-huh. So. Like for me, it was you know that was that was prime ground for another slashing penalty. Yeah, for me. Yeah, I mean, I get slash from just above the 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 top of their skate. Oh yeah, right there. Right. Like that was that was kind of my favorite spot between the right when the knee pad ends and uh, shin pad. Oh no, no, no. Oh, on the back of their leg. So just below their calf. Oh, okay, like kinda, yeah, yeah, on the back, just above the ski. Right, yeah, that was kind of like my target area. <laughs> I just, uh, I got you know, a trip in the course of a battle, a hit in the course of a scrum. I get all that, but when a dude just suckers you in the face, elbows you in the face for really no reason, I think most of us would lose their minds. And you guys on the ice have to somehow figure this out. I always, it's, it's amazing. Well, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I mean, there's, right. there's no, there's no right way to, right. I mean, the right way is of course to take the power play and not worry about it, but that, that doesn't often happen. No, no, absolutely. Uh, another thing to talk about in the NHL, Pulp Hockey Podcast with the great Ray Ferraro, uh, get it on iTunes, get it on Stitcher. Another thing I want to talk about was a few shows back, we're talking about Willie Desjardins of the Canucks. What's going on? What can they do? They're stuck with the Sedins. And all of that still is kind of true, what we, what we touched on, Ray, what you, what you told us about. But they're playing better. They're playing a little better here. They have um, they've put together, I think they had nine wins in 11 games as we, as we do the show here. Mm-hmm. Um, they beat Nashville 1-0 last night. I watched the last half, and I hope I don't have to watch it again. <laughs> because it was not very exciting, right? Um, but they play a they play a low event game. There's not a lot of chances either way. Um, yet they've been they've been successful. They're getting excellent goaltending. Um, maybe the biggest surprise of their season uh, is Nikita Trampkin, the gigantic Russian. He's six foot eight. Yeah, um, he looks a lot like Chara physically on the ice. He's a better skater um, than Chara. He doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't have that frightening edge that, you know, when you played against Chara, you were always kind of scared that he might just snap. <laughs> gonna lose it, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, but you know, this is two years in a row that the Canucks have had a 
an, at least one unheralded defenseman step in for them and do a good job. Last year it was Ben Hutton. Mm-hmm. This year it's Trampkin and uh, Troy Stetcher. So there are some good things, but uh, that have happened in Vancouver, and they're they've put themselves in the playoff race. But yeah, um, I, I mean, for the long term, I don't know that that changes my view of right what the next couple of years are going to look like there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It just somehow Willie's buttoned it down and. and saving his job and save, getting the team some points. And I think it's surprising. I honestly thought they were heading the wrong, other way the whole time. I'm just like, this is going to get uglier before it gets better. But they so. haven't quit on him. Man. Yeah. They've worked hard for him. And, um, uh, you know, he's whatever he's selling to them, they're willing to buy it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, well, a few more topics here uh, before we got to go. Thanks, everybody, for subscribing. Thanks for listening. Um, I'm sure, Ray, on the road, you're getting flooded with people who are love this podcast or, or no. Of course. Oh, Why fantastic. wouldn't they be thrilled? Right, exactly. Um, something I want. So, where are you off this week? You're going to New York for the Ranger Leaf game? No, I'm in. Oh. I'm in. I was in Denver last night for Chicago, Colorado, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm now in Toronto for uh, Rangers tomorrow night on Thursday night. Okay. Um, and I've been traveling just like you, just follow the different circuit, a different circus. Uh, this is uh, my tenth year as a media guy, twentieth year overall going to all these races, and you've been doing it a lot longer than that. Do you get excited to go to certain venues, though, Ray? Or is it the, does a game get you excited, or the venue, or the city, or a steakhouse, or something? What what gets you going to get on the airplane and get to different places? I, for me, the venues, the city, the vibe is something I look forward to now after so many years. Um, the race is just the race, you know, whatever. I hope it's good, but maybe it's not. Um, what about you? Uh, well, I love New York City. I yeah. love going to the Garden. That's that's always fun for me. I love Montreal. I love the city. I like the restaurants. Um, uh, I, I like the Bell Center a lot. Mm-hmm. Like that is a, you know, a really cool place. Uh, to go, I, I you know I I've always loved Boston. It's been it's been one of my favorite cities forever. And then in the middle of January, I like anywhere warm. So <laughs> right. if uh, if I'm getting to L.A. or if if I'm getting to Florida or Tampa, uh, I'm a fan of that too. Interesting. So it's more like locations for you than teams or games or anything like that. Like it's well, more. Yeah, I mean if if you you know if you get lucky enough at a point in the season that you catch a game that really means something like it's mm-hmm. you know the the playoff picture is crystallized that stuff's super exciting like right. when i'm doing the the world junior tournament and i'm doing the gold medal game yep um that's that's so fun those are so exciting to do um you know a uh, a game on a tuesday in the middle of november is probably not as much fun or right. as much build up right um, interesting. I went to the garden. My wife and I went to the garden to catch uh, Flames Rangers, I think two years ago. And I'd been there a few times before that, but that was my first time since the renovation. And uh, honestly, Ray, I thought it lost some of its character. It looks it looks like a modern arena now uh, compared to what it was before the renovation. They spent a ton of money. I mean, you still got to get there. It's still the garden. It's still amazing. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, that's just me. Um, what do you think? I, I I think it looks beautiful. I think they did a, I think they did an amazing job. You're right. It doesn't look the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess that's the point of the renovation, yep. right? They, yep. They're upgrading it. They've got that, you know, the uh, walkway up over top. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It is. Yeah. Um, it, it, I don't know. It's it's just different. You know, as uh, people that have been to New York know, it's just. This is, it's really just a different place, and it's it's pretty cool. Walking up to it, you're right downtown Manhattan. It's like the arena just pops up. You're like, oh, there's the arena, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it would be tough to rebuild that in a different part of the city. I know. Sure. Is, is the ice always as bad as they say? Uh, I, I don't know. I was there last week. I didn't notice it okay. being so terrible. It used to be worse. I okay. mean, part of the renovations are things none of us see. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so they upgrade the ice plant and all that stuff as well. Right, right. Uh, all right, let's get to – well, actually, I, w- I got a random – I, I promise we do this, so we haven't done it every show, but a random name from the past, and I want you to tell me about them, uh, and something that happened to you when you were playing against them, off the ice, whatever. Uh, I'm just going to throw out a name, and, and hopefully you got something about what it was like to play with this guy or against this guy. And and if not, you know, we'll, we'll move on. But um, Larry Robinson, Ray. Larry Robinson, you missed his prime, obviously, but uh, you certainly yeah. played against him in Whaler and uh, in Hab games, and then maybe uh, Kings when he 
ended up with the Kings. What was Larry to play like to play against? Well, I my the first time I saw Larry Robinson live was the first NHL game that I went to. First game I was in a building, NHL building. Mm-hmm. Um, I was uh, 18. We were in Winnipeg at the old arena, and the Jets beat the Canadians two nothing. Brian Hayward had the shutout. Wow! And what I remember about the game was, um, I always thought it was really cool that when the Canadian, like when Larry Robinson would come back to the bench, they'd put a towel around his neck. And I always thought that was really cool. Except one time he had to jump on the ice and he forgot the towel. <laughs> and he jumped on the ice and the towel went flying in the air and I happened to just see it. Yep. And I, that's the first time I saw Larry. Um, <laughs> the towel. When I played against him, yeah, with the towel. Right. First time I played, or when I was playing against him, he was a uh, partner for Chris Chelios um, in Montreal. We... Uh, we lost uh, Game Seven in '86 mm-hmm. to the Canadians, and um, uh, you know Larry was not the player he was. Certainly, uh, you know right. earlier when the Canadians were running through the when he was the mo- one of the most dominant defensemen in the league, but he was really good. He could still steer the play. He could he could be physical still when mm-hmm. he wanted to be. Yep. Um, he you know he was a really good passer, and and he was a mentor for Chelios for sure. And he actually was my coach in Los Angeles. Um, and what I found is he is an incredibly nice man. Yeah. One of the, one of the nicest people that I've come across in the game. Like almost not suited to be a coach type. Nice. He won a cup of course with, with the devils, but just... right. He, um, Larry, I think loved the teaching part of coaching mm-hmm. the most. Um, the, the other stuff, the discipline, uh, um, you know, the, yeah. Breaking of the games yeah. to get there, the games to motivate players, and th- that that really wasn't for Larry, I don't think. And the old stereotype about was never never hit him, never get him mad because he's six four, and which was big back then, you know. And yeah, he um, there weren't a lot of players in the league that could move around the ice as well as Larry, certainly at his size. Like he could cover the ice in a hurry because he had. He was a great big guy. He's, you know, he used his reach, uh, and he was a still a really good skater. Mm-hmm. Well, good. Glad you had something for Larry Robinson. I got a feeling you're going to have something for everybody. Like seriously, you're going to know well, everybody I throw at you. You're going to know. And make sure they're in the right era. Well, yeah. Well, I was go- hey, I was thinking Barry Beck, but you you probably missed Barry. I played against Barry Beck. Oh, you did. See, perfect. All right, Barry Beck. I, that was my guy. Yeah, I was, he was thinking the size of a size of a house. <laughs> right. Is what I remember about him. Uh, we'll get to some uh, Twitter and email questions from Greg. Uh, Greg says, as a Canadian in the U.S., I don't get to hear your you call live games that often, but I hear your voice more than other analysts on the EA Sports game. How long does it take to record all the content, and was it worth the money? Um, it takes. Uh, I do five, five four-hour or five-hour sessions per season. Okay. I'm actually uh, going into the studio uh, the 26th, seventh, somewhere around there mm-hmm. uh, to to tape my first couple of blasts through, and it's. Um, it's really tedious. It is. Um, it's a lot of repetition. Um, if it doesn't sound right, you do it again and again and again till it, you know, till the engineers are happy with it. Mm-hmm. It's really cool to see the process of how they build the game. Um, you know, that's been quite an education for me, and um, and I've I've been I've enjoyed my association with with EA for sure. It, is it? Uh, it must be frustrating when you you're like I'm saying it the way I'm saying it, and they're like, nope. Try again, and you're. Well, like, it doesn't. No, it's not frustrating okay. because you know that they're they're thinking of how it fits in the game and how it's going to get stitched into the play. And mm-hmm. you know, I don't know that. Right, I just right. know how I'm saying it. And they'll say, "Oh, we need you to to go up and down with your voice a little bit more." Oh, okay. We need you to end it in a certain way, and so they know I don't. So I just try and get it right without repeating it 73 times. <laughs> it's done in Vancouver, right? Yes, it yes, is, just yep. in uh, one of the suburbs of Vancouver. A question on Twitter from Dan Barry. Uh, I've heard that bottom six guys are better than ever on the NHL roster, so does this mean Vegas has the potential to be much more competitive quicker than other expansion teams? And uh, I think I know the answer to this one, Ray, but what do you think? No, I don't. No? Um, okay. I, uh, 
they are better. The, bo- the bottom yep. six players around the league, the bottom three defensemen on every team, absolutely, 100% better than they've and deeper than they've ever been. Mm-hmm. The problem is you can have you know, your roster built from the bottom up, if you, if you will, but until you get the top-end guys, it's, gonna, it's really hard to compete. And the one thing with Vegas is they've got to be careful about, you know, if you put together a team that finishes ninth from the bottom, that really doesn't do you very much good. No. Because now you draft ninth. You know, they they have to be careful about really how good you want to be early. And in those early years, what you want to be doing is stockpiling as many younger players, skilled players, draft picks as you possibly can so you can build this with, with volume of prospects as opposed to cherry-picking one guy off each team. Right, right. And there'll be, a lot, like we talked about before, there'll be a lot of side deals before the draft, before the expansion draft and everything else. A lot. Oh, of, I'm, sure yeah. I'm sure it's going to be uh, dizzying to follow once it gets towards the, the expansion draft and the entry draft. Do you hear any rumors about coach coaches? Been really quiet. and yeah. um, you know, I, I know George McPhee, and I wouldn't be shocked if there's anything that leaks out uh, you know, from yep. George's camp. Right, right. He just, he, that's just not the way he operates. Right, right. Well, cool. All right, everybody. That's been another edition of Paul Pocky Podcast with uh, Ray Ferraro. Uh, subscribe on iTunes. Get it on Stitcher. Uh, get it at paulpocky.com. All of that. Ray, you uh, will try to hit, hit it up next week um, and see what your schedule is like. But uh, So you do Rangers Toronto. And, and, then, um, and then I'm back. Uh, I'm actually Sunday in Ottawa for Columbus. Um, Monday I'm in Toronto for I don't know who, and uh, Tuesday I'm in Ottawa for Washington. Um, I'll tell you who you're there for. So that'll be a busy start to the week. Yeah, really, right? Um, so yeah, usually you usually like to get home on the weekends, right? Pretty much for back yeah, to Vancouver. This but, weekend, yeah. I'm going to get home Saturday and or home Friday and leave Saturday night. Jeez, Calgary Monday, Calgary. So that should be a good oh. game. There you go. Um, awesome. Exactly. Thanks, Ray. As I said, Calgary. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. All right. Thanks, man. Talk to you.